here's a little update. I would, I would ask, update slash prayer request. Keep me, me, in prayer if you would this week. I will be uh, leaving tomorrow morning for Nicaragua. I'll be there all week. I'll be back next Sunday to give you a report. That's uh, important. There, there will be several uh, pastors and missions leaders from the U.S. going down for the week to do a planning meeting with our pastors there for a national conference this summer. This summer will represent, uh, it's, it's a couple of things. One, it, it will be, this is our 10th year working in Nicaragua. So it, it represents a 10-year commitment. And it also will be our third Nicaraguan national conference. We now have, we have a brand new church plant starting um, in the next few weeks and a potential church plant happening later this year. So we could, could have as many as eight churches in country by the end of the year, which when we started, there was sort of one. And so it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And this week will be a planning meeting for that conference this summer, which, by the way, the information is on the board, but we will be taking a team over for the conference, and you're all invited to go on that trip. And I know that it's, it's, the cost is uh, roughly $1,500. It's a 10-day trip, and I know that's a commitment. Um, but I would really challenge you, encourage you to pray and think about going if you can. It's the end of July, beginning of August. Uh, great great opportunity just to fellowship with people to see God work in a totally different environment than we are used to being in and this will be the first year that our conference will be held uh, the two previous ones have been in Managua which is the capital city and and it's uh, on the, the western part of the country this summer we're doing the conference uh, in, in a city called Bluefields, which is on the Caribbean coast on the east side of Nicaragua. And we've never gone over there before, uh, just simply because we have one church over there. They always come over to everything in the west with us, uh, but we're going to all go to them. And, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful people, beautiful place. Um, here, here's the thing, and this is kind of why I asked you to pray for me. Um, you know that old saying, you can't get there from here. Well, you, you really can't get there from here. Uh, there are no roads across country in Nicaragua. So typically, when we have gone over and visited our church on the, on the Caribbean side, we fly over. But all of our Nicaraguan friends, because of the cost of airfare, they travel by bus. It's about a 10-hour bus ride to the mouth of the river. And then you take a, a little boat called a panga, and it's kind of a, it's a canoe with a motor, basically. And you go up the river and down the coast to Bluefields. And that's how they travel because it's much cheaper. So we'll be making that trip this week. We want to make sure that it all works and we know how things function. And we're So I'm, I'm not excited about that, really. Um, I checked. There's nothing. There's no scary things in the water. But, but it's still. No, there's no, there's no piranhas. There's no. What? I don't, there's no piranhas. I don't know about snakes. I checked on crocodiles, alligators, and piranhas. They don't have those. So I'm feeling a little better, but still. Yeah, but you've not, it's a tiny little boat, and it's like, it's, you've seen buses, you know, like when the bus is full, the boat is full like that. These packed people in. It's a little boat. I, I've only seen pictures. So keep me in prayer. If I'm not here next Sunday, um, think, <laughs> yes. 
You have a prayer for me? You're going to pray right now? What does it say? Thank you. I'll take that prayer. So pray, what is it, 111? So you guys pray Colossians 111 for me this week, and then also just add a little part about staying alive at the end, if you would. Um, so anyway, it's exciting. I'm excited. Think about it. Pray about it. I, I'd love you guys to go. We will start taking registrations for the summer team probably um, in about a month or so. We'll start making a deposit and put some money down on that and have team meetings and all that good stuff. But anyway, think about going. Love you to go. Uh, so last week, if you were here, we're not here, whatever, we were talking about something that sounded too good to be true, but actually was. Uh, and that something is the love of God. And the love of God, when you begin to uh, really get in touch with it uh, and understand it for all that it is, it really does. It, it, it sounds like one of those late night commercials on TV. It's just too good to be true. But it really is true. God really, really does love us that way. And we looked at Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, where he prays for the Ephesians, and really, I, I think, you know, continuing on for believers and for us, that we would, we would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love, he says, that surpasses knowledge. And, and that's kind of a an interesting concept to know something you can't know. And I, I shared a little bit with you about how do we come to know something that we can't know. And there was a few things that we mentioned last week. You remember, first is, first step in, in knowing something you can't know is to admit that you can't know it, to, 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 know, to, to admit that you don't know what you don't know. And uh, no matter how deep, how profound our experience in God's love is, no matter how much you feel or think you know it, it whatever we've experienced, and, and again, not to minimize anybody's experience in, in God's love, it's all real, it's all good, but it's, it's just the beginning, it's just a taste, it's, so, it's just a little bit of all that He really has for us. So there's, there's so much more in that. And then I also uh, shared with you how uh, love is such a, a, a diverse concept you know, we talk about all the things we love. I shared with you how my love for pizza, which, you know, it, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Um, you know, but we, we love one another. We, we love our, our spouse. We love our family. And uh, how uh, in, in the Greek language, in the Bible, there are four different words that are all translated as love into our language. And they, they really do mean different things. The first one is storge, and storge is an affectionate love. It's a family love, love your family. It's also uh, the same term you would use for saying things like, I, I love your hair, I love your, that car, I love pizza, I love things like that. It's affectionate, you like it, it's nice. Um, then there's a word phylos, and phylos is brotherly love. It's the love that we have really for one another, but, but it's also a love that you have, you know, you've been on a, maybe a, a sports team or something like that where you, you accomplish something together, uh, and, and uh, you know, at the end, you, you know, your brothers, yeah, we, we love. That, it's kind of that sense of love. And we talked about eros. Eros is a passionate, a romantic love shared between a, uh, a husband and wife. And then we talked about agape, and agape is different than all the others. That's God's love for us, and it's a, a others-oriented, choice-based, self-sacrificial love. It's, it's loving someone despite who or what they are. 
I might love you because you're a friend. You're, you're a good person. I care about you. Agape, I love you even if you're not a good person. Even if you don't care about me. And, and, and that's, that's the love that God has for us. And then the last thing we really focused in on last week is that God is love. And when, uh, when John tells us in 1 John that God is love, we, we remember that it's not a verb, it's a noun. He's not telling us that God loves us. He's not telling us that God is loving. He's saying, in fact, God is love. The intrinsic nature and character of God is love. And, and what that means, really, is this. It means that it's impossible for God to stop loving you based on anything you do or don't do. In order for God to stop loving you, He would have to stop being God. And I think sometimes in the course of life, we, and there's so many different things that that play into this, but we lose touch with the love of God a little bit. Maybe, not me of course, but some of you, do things that you know are wrong and you begin to feel like God couldn't possibly love me anymore. But you know what? That really isn't true. It's, it, 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 it's, it's metaphysically impossible for God to stop loving us based on anything that we've done. Right here, right now, today, as we speak, God has a perfect, perfect, total, complete, unconditional love for you. That, that others-oriented, you, you are the other. He loves you. It's a choice God makes. God's decision in His heart at the beginning of creation was to love you. It's a self-sacrificial love. You may not be in a relationship with God, a storge relationship. Maybe you're not affectionate towards God. You don't feel His affection towards you. Maybe you're not phylos. Maybe you're not friends with God. Maybe you're enemies with God. Maybe you're not passionate about God. In fact, There are people that might be passionate against God, but none of that changes the reality that God has that same sense, that reality, that that true God is love, agape love for you right here now today. And the definition of that love really is the cross. And I wish you could see that a little better. It's dark, and I'll talk about the painting in, in a minute, but... The definition of God's love for us is the cross. When the Bible talks about the love of God, it doesn't give us an abstract definition. It points to an event. It says, if you want to know what God's love is really like, look to the cross. And John tells us that in 1 John as well. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Others-oriented, choice-based, self-sacrificial love. Jesus said... You're worth dying for. You're worth dying for. And and he paid that price for you. And you could not be worth any more to him than you already are. He he paid that price for you. He loves you. What I want to talk about today is that reality and how the Bible views that and I think how uh, society in general views that because the Bible says that, that that is scandalous. That's the word it uses, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it really is scandalous that God would love us that way. And if we don't understand that, we really can't understand the depth of God's commitment and sacrifice towards us on the cross. So 
We're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians, and we'll read that together in just a second. Don't start reading it. Um, I want to pray first, and then we'll read. Jesus, thanks again for a great day, a beautiful uh, day to celebrate your love, our life in you, to worship you. And we ask that uh, by your spirit you would open our hearts to receive not only your word, but your love today. Uh, that you would touch us uh, with a new reality, a greater measure. That we would uh, grow a little bit today in our understanding of how deep and how wide and how long and how high uh, your love for us really is. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, now we'll read. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 22 to 25. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Um, before we get into the text, and, and we will in just a second, but I want to talk about the painting again. Um, I don't know how well you can see it. The, the author is a guy named Daniel Bunnell, and I've used some of his paintings before in my slides uh, for background. He has uh, mostly New Testament images, images of Christ, Pearl of Great Price. I think I used that one. There's a few of them. This particular one is called The Beautiful Mess, and I think it really captures the heart of God and God's love for us uh, Christ on the cross, obviously, in the middle. And then up above is sort of this uh, sun thing that kind of really represents heaven or the place of God in holiness. And then down below, it's, again, a little dark, hard to see, but there's all these swirling things kind of going around. And what I, I see, you know, and again, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a huge art critic, but I kind of see life, earth, reality, stuff, our sin, all the issues and the garbage and that swirling thing that we sort of live in and the cross is kind of this bridge between and God was was up there and he came down here and the cross sort of is a bridge between the two and, and it, it brings the holiness of God right into the, the mess and the sin and the stuff of our lives and I, I really I, I really just uh, look at that and go wow that's that's the reality of it all that's the reality of it all the irony, and, and, and really, it, the, the irony and the, the beginning of the, the scandal of that is this, that God becomes the clearest to us when he becomes other than what he is. When holy God leaves that place of holiness, when he leaves that place of perfection, and he, and he kind of enters into the beautiful mess of our lives, that's when we really begin to see most clearly who God really is and how God uh, really, really loves. He comes down, you know, out of heaven and enters into, you know, uh, the mud and the blood and the beer, to quote the great philosopher Johnny Cash. Um, you know, God comes right down into the mess of our lives, and that's, that's where we see who God is in its purest, clearest, most uh, visible form. And, 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 and that's really what makes it scandalous. It's scandalous because it confronts all of our senses. It challenges our natural mind. Um, when we look at the cross, it defies everything that we think should be true about God. And that's what Paul's writing uh, in this passage in Corinthians, that 
our minds are boggled uh, by that because it seems like God should be other than that. And I want to I do what I did last week and to define that a little bit clear. I want to go to the Greek again. And I know I said I, I wouldn't do this a whole lot and I don't like to, but it, it's, it really is kind of helpful. Um, the word stumbling block is the Greek word is scandalon, and it is the word that we get our English word scandal from. But when Paul writes that, when, something we need to know is in, in what he means here in, the, in biblical terms and in, in their culture, scandal is a little different than what we think of as a scandal today. Today, when we hear about a scandal, typically it's kind of a gossip thing, right? It's sort of a juicy thing. There's something that, you know, it's, it usually involves celebrities or athletes. It's a, oh, you know, scandal. You know what I'm talking about. It's stuff like uh, Kristen cheats on Rob. Trouble in Twilight. Look how sad he looks. He's just so sad. I, I like the Kardashians because the Kardashians are awesome because they really have made a career out of being in scandals. They don't do anything else. That's all they do. They just, be, they just, they just, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up, Bobby? I want to do stupid things and be in magazines. Um, politicians, you know, athletes. Um, that's, that's what we think of when we think of a scandal. But what Paul is talking about is something different than that. He really is talking about something that's offensive, so, something that... Um, is, is shocking so much so that you can't believe it. It's a stumbling block you, because you stumble over it, you trip over it, you can't get past it. It's something that is, is so, uh, so offensive, so displeasing, so wrong, 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 that, that you really can't buy it. I can't believe it. And, and again, going back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians, on our own, we can't. In and of ourselves, we're not able to really believe who Jesus is. Paul prays that we'll have the power to know that. And by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit kind of enlightens the eyes of our hearts and allows us to see God for who he is and receive that love. Otherwise, I don't think any of us w- would be any different than the Jews or Greeks that he was writing to, and we wouldn't b- believe it either. Because th- that's, that's really, you know, the, the scandal is that God looks like that. That's, it, that's the scandal. Paul's telling us, you know, Jews, uh, the, 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 Jew, the well, first the Greeks. The Greeks were into wisdom. And uh, that just doesn't seem wise. They had this view of God that was sort of transcendent. God was out there, up there. God was unchanging. God didn't have emotion. He didn't have feelings. And Jesus doesn't define God that way at all. The Greeks would define God in terms of his otherness. God is other than us. Uh, you know, again, Jesus defines God by his ability to enter right into our lives. And that's scandalous to them. Can't believe that. The, the Jews viewed God in terms of uh, power and nationalism. They believed God because, well, God was on their side. God's on our side. And God's going to come and he's, and he's going to uh, free us from the Roman oppression that we live under. Uh, and the Messiah is supposed to come and accomplish that, not come and die on a cross. And really, up until the time that, that Jesus went to the cross, 
virtually everyone, including his disciples, believed that that was what he was going to do. It was so hard for them, even after he died, his disciples wondered, what, now are you going to take over? Now are you going to come in and, 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 you know, take care of these Romans and kick them out and establish your kingdom here? But Christ doesn't work that way. He doesn't prefer one nation over another. He doesn't prefer one person over another. In fact, his love is so high, so wide, so deep, so long that it's extended to everybody, to good and bad alike. It's extended to, to the righteous and to the evil. His, his power is perfected in his weakness, and his love goes out to everybody. And the Jews really did. They believed Jesus was going to come and, and, and kick some Roman behind and take over, and then he died on a cross. And it was a scandal to them. I want to take just a minute uh, and look at a couple other places in the New Testament where that same word is used just to illustrate this to you a little further. This is in uh, Matthew, and it's a conversation between Jesus and Peter. So from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, that shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. That same word, you're a scandal to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And in Romans, Paul says, What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they have pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Galatians, Paul says, brothers and sisters, If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense, and here that same word is translated offense, of the cross has been abolished. And finally, Peter again, and I I like it because Peter figured it out. Over the course of his time with Jesus, he figured it out. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So the the love of Christ becomes a stumbling block because for most of us in our human minds and in our human hearts, we just can't believe that God would really love us that way. We can't believe that God would really love, that God really loves me no matter what I do, what I say, how I act, what I think. But he does. But he does. And, and if you if you understand that that reality, you know, it, it, it really does, you know, override that scandal then. Uh, it, it confronts everything that we think should be true about God, but we suddenly begin to see God for who he really is and how he really loves us. And so... Uh, next week, I'm going to actually continue this a little further and, and, and show us how 
Jesus really is the full revelation of all that God is. But today I just want to close and uh, pray for us again. So if you guys would stand, and Cindy, if you would come on back up. See, I promised you I was going to be short. You guys didn't believe I could do it. I can do it. Two weeks in a row. That's pretty darn good. You know, really, intentionally, I I wanted to make sure we have time because, time to pray, because I, I just felt like God wants us to know that. And he wants us to, to know it uh, in our hearts, not just in our minds. And so I'm just going to ask the uh, Holy Spirit to minister to us a little bit. Lord, would you cause your spirit to rest upon us and help us to begin to um, know and feel, experience in the depth of our being how high and wide and deep and long your love for us is. And I pray that you would remove anything, Lord, that hinders that today. The lies that we believe about ourselves, even the sins that have separated us from you, that your forgiveness would be poured out upon those. The scars that have built up from the wounds that we have encountered over the course of life and the things that we've been told and have been spoken to us that have caused us to believe that you would never love us, that you would heal that. 